All right. Well, this is an interesting one, guys. Ari Nagel, he is a professor of math, but he is most known for being the biological father to 140 different children. They have nicknamed him the Sperminator, and he is a sperm donor to anyone who wants him to help out, and he does not charge uh, for his services. Some people think he's a hero and he's helping out couples who otherwise wouldn't be able to conceive. Other people have accused him of being on an ego trip and being a narcissist and a bad person. Um, He tells a story in this episode, along with some of the complications about doing something like this, love him or hate him. This is all legal. He tells me, and uh, this is sometimes the price of freedom and being an American is that some people you're not going to agree with their lifestyle, but I think you should give Ari a chance and hear his story before you make any assumptions. He's coming right up. No pun intended. Okay. All right. So Orthodox Jewish, uh, four, you said four brothers and two sisters. Yes. And 28 nieces and nephews. And, and they're all so, married in traditional yeah. relationships. And what, what are you the oldest or youngest or middle? <laughs> yes. I'm the middle, typical middle child. <laughs> okay. So middle child, um, were your, then what was your relationship like with your parents? Like, like what is, cause I mean, you're a father. What was your relationship like with your own father? Yeah, I mean, I have a good relationship with my parents, but they're quite ashamed of my lifestyle, you know? I mean, they would wish that I would just marry like all of my siblings and start a more traditional family. But I went to visit them this week. They're still in Florida. They usually go for the winters, but uh, they stayed a little longer this year. And um, we're still quite close, even if they don't approve of my lifestyle. But so, like, growing up, did you you felt, like, loved? Is it you felt like you were, you know, had enough attention? Oh, yeah. Okay. I so mean, no. somehow my father feels like maybe um, he didn't give me enough attention, perhaps, but uh, I certainly didn't feel that way. I uh, had a wonderful childhood. In fact, uh, I think uh, he was a better father to me than I'll be for any of my children. And he gave you a lot of hugs, told you he loved you all the time, all that stuff? Yeah, I had a great childhood. And uh, of course, it was just also fun growing up uh, in a house with uh, four brothers and two sisters who, you know, a lot of them are, have twin brothers that are 18 months older than me. So that, it was just a fun household. You know, I always had uh, friends uh, home because my siblings are my best friends. So there was always a lot of people in and out of the house because of like all your brothers and sisters and friends. and Always, yep. It was a fun uh, childhood. I mean, I went to yeshiva, so maybe I didn't have the... Gr- I mean... <laughs> I could have probably done without that, you know, part of it, uh, but I didn't know at the time, you know, I was what? What? Say, sorry, say that again. I went to Yeshiva, you know, it's like this parochial school. It wasn't oh. the education. It was long hours. We spent hours a day studying Aramaic and subjects that are really just impractical. So I think it, it, looking back, I'm seeing the education that my kids get. And I think it's far superior to whatever I was uh, getting and uh, I, you know, we were just studying just hours of Talmud a day and subjects that are that have very little value. You know, I even the Hebrew that I was learning was like biblical Hebrew, so it wasn't even applicable when I went on my trips to Israel. I have five kids in Israel, and I could barely even communicate with them in Hebrew because the Hebrew that I learned was biblical Hebrew, not modern Hebrew. Oh, interesting! I didn't know there was a difference. That's interesting. Well, it's like old English, you know, where art thou? So oh, it won't really help. I mean, I can read it and write it fluently, but they wouldn't understand when I'm speaking and I don't understand what they're saying. Okay, gotcha. So what? how old are you? You had this motorcycle accident and then you got some money from the insurance company, like 70 grand. What this was like, you were like 18, 19 or? 17. 17, okay. So yeah, then it was, uh, it was a, uh, two days before my brother's wedding. <laughs> and uh, my mother came to me in the hospital yelling like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? You know, uh, but it was an accident, and uh, I still made it to my brother's wedding, albeit I was in a wheelchair. But I broke my femur bone. It wasn't my fault. The guy basically ran a stop sign kind of thing. And uh, I didn't even hire a lawyer, uh, which is funny because I never hired a lawyer for any of my child support cases either. I always just went in without a lawyer. And uh, sometimes with, um, you know, probably uh, <laughs> limited in success. But in this case, I didn't hire a lawyer. I probably would have made more had I hired a lawyer. But uh, they ended up just settling with me and gave me the 70 grand. Uh, thanks to Reagan, it was tax free. And I took that money and did a lot of traveling. Of course, I 
the first thing I did was buy a bigger motorcycle. But after that, I used it to travel to around 40 countries. And uh, at some point over those travels, I really did lose a little bit of my faith. Of your faith. Okay. So what else, yeah, what else did you learn about yourself and the world by traveling? Because that's a lot of traveling. I mean, that must have really changed you if you just were mostly used to being in, you know, this this town in New York. I mean, seeing 40 different countries, that would totally change a man, I would think. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I was growing up in almost like a ghetto. So it was a very, very sheltered lifestyle. I don't even think I knew how to make a baby in high school. You know, <laughs> like they didn't teach that. You know, <laughs> so uh, it was pretty sheltered. I went to all boys elementary schools. I went to all boys high schools. So I think in many ways I was socially retarded. I think graduating at 17 years old, uh, you know, I was going to college and I didn't really, you know, know how to socialize. I think a lot of my relationships, perhaps my 20s, were maybe what other people would have in their high school years where they were immature. And I think uh, certainly it helped me get out of my shell a little bit, traveling to so many different places and maybe be less shy and uh, more social. Uh, uh, but uh, part of that was also just seeing so many different faiths and see, seeing people worship, you know, all sorts of different, um, uh, you know, cows. I was, I was in India for three months or, you know, meeting so many Jehovah's Witnesses that left the faith. And I think it was influential and maybe playing a role in perhaps me not practicing Orthodox Judaism anymore. Did you get uh, like lonely being on the on the road? I mean, after you're used to living in this house with all these people, now you're just you're traveling by yourself, right? So, does it get lonely on the road, just like not having someone to come home to every day? No, oh, well, you know, you're not really lonely for long because you know you could only really let another day or two go by without talking to people. So eventually, you know, I was staying in hostels. I wasn't staying in five star okay. hotels always. So I was meeting people and socializing. So, uh, no, I think it helps you become more outgoing when you travel alone. I think if I was traveling with friends, I would have hung out with my friends the whole time. But then when you travel by yourself, it helps you learn to make new friends. Yeah. So you say you were socially retarded in high school, like you just didn't have a lot of friends. You didn't have a friend group or like a group of guys. Oh, I was very, I was very popular in elementary school oh. and high school. I think I, I meant with the opposite gender. I was going to. All oh, okay. I think in that sense, I wasn't really adept at really handling relationships with the opposite gender. Gotcha. Okay. So then, um, eventually, then this how this whole thing started. It sounds like you saw an ad for a sperm donor on Craigslist, and. Um, what made you want to respond to that or reach out to this person? Yeah, well, you know, I was using Craigslist for lots of other things. So I found my housekeeper on Craigslist. I sold my old motorcycle on Craigslist. And it was just a website that you were using. So I, I was even finding odd jobs just for fun. I remember when Spider-Man 2 came out, they uh, Toys R Us hired me to be Spider-Man for the day. It's like I was just doing all <laughs> sorts of random things on Craigslist. And that's when I came across this ad. I don't even know what section it was in, if it was in the personal ad section or the services section or the odd job section, I don't remember. But uh, that's really where I encountered actually two ads. It was two women that posted on there and they, they couldn't be more different, even though they were living right near each other. One was in Chelsea, one was on the Upper West Side. One was a single Jewish woman who was in her 40s and wasn't meeting Mr. Wright and just wanted to start a family on her own and be a single mother by choice. And then the other was a lesbian African-American couple living in Chelsea, and they uh, obviously needed my help to grow their family. They had three boys and they wanted a girl. And so for these first, because I know like most of these, you've, you've done it for free. Did you get paid for the first two or did you even do the first two for free? No, they were all free. Uh, they, they both wanted different things. Uh, that the single woman from the Upper West Side wanted to do a marriage and a divorce uh, a number of months later. And uh, she, even though she was heterosexual, the, because of her age, it precluded us trying on our own. So we ended up using a clinic, whereas the lesbian couple, we ended up conceiving the child the old-fashioned way because I didn't really know of another way to conceive a child. Of course, now the vast majority of my donations, I'm just putting the sperm in a cup and they're putting it inside. But my first few donations were either the old-fashioned way or in this case uh because she was in her 40s we ended up using a fertility clinic okay so but like what made so if you're not even getting paid for the, this first one at all either that, like what was the incentive for you at that point like you just wanted to help out or yeah well i already had a son because um i had um had a uh, i wouldn't want to say casual encounter but i was dating a girl for a few weeks and uh, we had a very uh 
uh, I don't want to say an accident. It doesn't like to be called an accident, but uh, an unplanned pregnancy. And uh, so he was a few years old, and I certainly enjoyed being a father, but I wasn't really uh, in, in a relationship with the mom or uh, on particularly great terms. We were co-parenting, but it was challenging, I think. And I felt like this was perhaps a way where I can grow my own family as my brothers and sisters were growing theirs, uh, while not having to deal with perhaps the drama that a relationship might entail. Right. But so with those first two, were you a part of the, those kids' lives at all, or did they want you to not be a part of the kids' lives? It's up to the moms. So uh, it varies. Uh, in this case, uh, some it's hit or miss. You know, sometimes they're open to it. Sometimes they're less open. So um, it, it's really up to them. But I always put the ball in their court. Uh, I see both of them uh, occasionally, uh, as long as the mom permits. Uh, they're 14 years old now. They're turning 15 in August and September. So, um, you know, at, at a certain point, they'll start to make those decisions on their own. And maybe I'll have a, a closer relationship, but uh, I have both their numbers saved in my cell phone and we, we chat and I've, I've gotten together with the, both of them recently. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause like some people are like, they're really like negative towards you in this whole story, which is, which is interesting to me because it seems like a lot of these women that you're helping, I mean, they're going to, they're going to do this regardless, right? It's just like, you're kind of saving them some money because isn't it really expensive to do do it through a clinic and to get a sperm donor. Like you said, thousands of dollars, right? Uh, yes, uh, that's true. And the, the vast majority of the time, they're not spending anything, uh, you know, and even when they use the clinic, sometimes uh, insurance may cover it. The only part that the insurance doesn't cover, oddly enough, is the actual sperm, which it's not thousands of dollars. It's a thousand dollars. But if you're using a clinic uh, to insert the sperm, then yeah, it could be many thousands of dollars if you don't have insurance coverage. Uh, you know, listen, the people have all sorts of views. Obviously, it's gotten a little out of control. I have 140. So sometimes people hear that number and they say, well, that's absurd. You know, that's not uh, uh, normal uh, per se. Um, you know, in the end, I think uh, other people might see the same thing and say, wow, that's a beautiful thing that he's doing and not charging for it and helping so many beautiful families grow. Uh, I see both sides. I think ultimately in the end. Uh, whatever these views that people have have nothing to do with me. These people don't know me. They never met any of the kids. They never met any of the moms. I think once you do that, that inevitably your opinions will change. Uh, but I think their negative views probably have more to do with the kind of people that they are and less to do with what kind of person I am. Yeah, because I, I think another thing you said, the advantage of for some of these women using you rather than the clinic is that when they're getting it from the clinic, they they can't see the... Uh... The picture of the person, they don't know the person's temperament. And a lot of those people obviously are not going to be involved in any level, which I mean, you kind of like you said, you have both. You have some that you're not involved at all, but some you are involved in to some level. I mean, as much as you can be, right? Yep. I got to see this week 14 kids. So I'm sounds like a lot, but it's really just 10%. You know, of course, there was some graduations and uh I did a little bit of traveling. I saw eight kids in Florida this past week. Uh, plus, I, of course, I went to visit my folks. So once I was there, I ended up doing a little trip. Of course, my, I have 12 kids in Florida. Uh, they're spread all over the state. I have in Sarasota, Jacksonville, uh, South Florida, Orlando. So uh, it's difficult to uh, visit all of them. But uh, I did get to visit eight of them. And then uh, yesterday, I did an award ceremony. This morning, I did a graduation. Uh, in another two hours, I'll be doing some karate event. She has some kind of something or something or other father-son karate. I guess it's for Father's Day. So, yeah, but Father's Day is a little busier and then graduation season makes it busy. I, I mean, yeah, I definitely bit off more than I could chew. So um, disappointing. Tomorrow I got a gender reveal in Connecticut. I would like to go. You know, it's two and a half hours there, two and a half hours back. Uh, just like the award ceremony yesterday was around two and a half hours drive each way. And I had a woman ovulating uh, today in Las Vegas, and I was thinking about flying out. But of course, if I would have flown out, then I would have missed the squatty event. I would have missed the gender reveal. I would have missed Father's Day with my children. I have my son on Sunday getting his first haircut. Uh, it's a Jewish tradition that they do when the kid's three years old. They do the first haircut. So I'll be attending that. I think maybe some of my family members might be attending that as well. So I, I got a busy weekend, uh, that's for sure. And then there's other kids that I never met, and it's dynamic. So sometimes they want me to play a role, sometimes they don't, and then sometimes it just changes back and forth. And maybe they don't foresee me playing a role, and then the kid gets eight or nine, and starts asking questions, and then they say, "Well, you know, uh, here's your dad. You could just give him a call." That kind of thing. So it goes back and forth. And they these women know what they're getting into when they sign up with you. 
that you're going to be busy because you have 140 kids. So they're going to know that you can't always be there for everything. Uh, yes, they should be aware of that. <laughs> I got in trouble like three months ago. I missed a baptism in Harrisburg. But, you know, I just had a lot on my plate that weekend. And I wasn't able to make the five-hour journey. She was really livid, you know. And I was like, I didn't say the obvious of like, <laughs> oh, you know, that wasn't my first child, you know. That was like number 120, you know. But, uh, yeah, I hope they're aware. You know, I think uh, any role is probably better than a role. Yeah, I think even just the knowing, you know, because people always say, well, why don't you do it the normal way? You know, go to a clinic, but there's nothing normal about it. Uh, The normal way is where it's like an anonymous donation. And it's so strange. The truth is, it depends on the country. So the U.S. is quite good because you could actually choose who your donor can be. And you actually have the option to see a picture, although sometimes they may just charge you more for it. They may charge you for the photo package. But I was in Spain um, last month and I was helping a woman there. And she said that when she went to the clinic, she wasn't allowed to choose who the donor should be. The the doctor chooses and uh, she doesn't really get any information, not a picture. She gets, I think, eye color, height and race or something like that. Like such maybe blood type, I think, was one of the like three things that she really gets. known. But she doesn't get to choose. The doctor chooses. And that's true in a lot of countries. And it just seems so backwards, like the most important decision of your life. And you can't even order the sperm from another country that allows you to choose. So like, who are they protecting? It just makes no sense. And that's the normal accepted way. Uh, in the U.S., you are you are able to choose. Um, uh, some countries you can't, but you're able to order from another country that allows you to. In Spain, that wasn't the case. But a lot of the countries allow you to order from another country where sometimes they'll give you the baby picture. Uh, in the end, ultimately, you probably can chase down and find the identity of your owner, maybe uh, of your donor, just by maybe doing a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com. So the, there are ways, but uh, I think that's prohibited. And you are signing a contract, maybe sometimes saying that you're not going to try and seek out your anonymous donor. And then some countries, uh, you know, make anonymous donations illegal and they want all the donations to be known donors. Uh, so uh, every country, I mean, IVF is really a new phenomenon. It was invented in my lifetime. So I think uh, the laws are still catching up with the times and they'll try and figure out what works best. The U.S., I think, is the Wild West of fertility. So you're even allowed to bring a known donor into the clinic. Of course, it makes it a lot more complicated because there's a whole bunch of more paperwork that's involved. Them. The vast majority of the time, if I end up using a clinic, I just go as the woman's partner as opposed to as the woman's donor. Interesting. Yeah, I heard you say, too, that this was this was interesting to me that they charge more for different races. Is that true? Uh, of course, uh, different sperm counts, different races, uh, different education levels, uh, everything's uh, going to be a different price and d- different wow. religions because, you know, it's a lot of it is supply and demand. So if there's a shortage of a certain type, uh, they may have sales on certain sperm if they have an excess amount of that. And um, the countries that try to maybe make it, uh, you know, uh, limit the number of donors that donors that, 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 you know, ends up having a shortage and then it makes it even more expensive. So it, it's a difficult situation. There's no easy answer of like, hey, let's just limit each donor to 10 families. Well, then that's it's so expensive already. And then when they vet a donor, there's a lot of expense involved. So it really is not financially um possible to just limit a donor to 10 because they're going through so much expense to vet the donor and that once they have one they really want the donor to donate many many times so that it'll be available uh anyway so it's challenging i think uh, i i think ultimately in the end the, the, the laws will work itself out they have to allow where you could just bring a friend into a clinic it is allowed in the u.s but it's so complicated uh, most countries that's not allowed you can't just say all right here's my donor we want to have a child together that's uh, prohibited in most countries some countries you have to be married in order to use a fertility clinic um it, it's bizarre sometimes because sometimes they're like countries that you think would be quite forward thinking, you know, Germany or France, you know, you have to be, you have to be a married couple in order to use a fertility clinic. Interesting. So you said for like a regular anonymous donor in America, is there is a limit of 10 or no, there is no limit. Uh, Nope. Uh, There's protocols. So the protocols is uh, 25 donations per 800,000 people. Of course, it doesn't matter what country you're in. It's very rare that any of these are enforced because whatever fertility clinic I go to is not sharing their information with the other fertility clinics. So no one really knows uh, how many were actually conceived. Nobody's keeping track. So let's say I 
donate ten times. Nobody's seeing how many of those actually produced children. Nobody keeps track of that. Uh, yeah. So nobody knows how many children I have. If I was donating anonymously at the clinics, there'd be no way for me to know how many children I have uh, because no, no one keeps records of that. So if I later discovered that I had some kind of terrible heart condition or something, and I wanted to notify all my recipients, oh my God, something terrible happened. I have this heart condition. Make sure your children get checked out for this heart condition. There's no way that I could even reach out to them because if I donated anonymously, I don't know who these uh, um, recipients are. And there's no way for me to track them down. Uh, now, if I, God forbid, had some kind of a, a condition that I wanted all of them, it would take me literally just a minute. I could post on the Facebook group and just say, hey, by the way, I have, you know, because I have a Facebook group of a lot of the families that I helped with around 90 moms in there. And that would really cover almost all of them. And then I could just shoot out a couple text messages or WhatsApp groups. And uh, I'd be able to alert all of them to whatever concern. Not only that, but the Mothers can share any kind of health concerns that they have with the other uh, moms. Uh, there are a lot of them are in touch with each other. Uh, none of that's really possible uh, in any organized way with the um, anonymous donations. Yeah. And Did I, you, have an, uh, you have an Excel spreadsheet of all the kids and the birth dates and the moms and all those contact yes. information? Yeah. Of course. Yes. And then, uh, and then of course, I'm getting together. And then even the moms that don't want me to play a role in the children's lives, a lot of them do feel more open to having relationships with the other moms or having their kids have relationships with their siblings. So a lot of them get together. So I know I have like uh, two kids in Tennessee, one in Memphis, one in Nashville, and they get together all the time. Uh, the moms are quite close. So they have these uh, groups. Um, some of the Israeli moms are quite close to each other and they uh, keep in touch with each other. So there's a Organic groups that were created, uh, sometimes just based on where they're located or if they had common cultural, uh, you know, sometimes the Haitian moms might be closer to each other. But a lot of times it's just geographically. If I have moms in Florida with kids that are similar in age, then they're going to be getting together quite often. And same with the have kids similar ages in Jersey might be getting together often for play dates. Yeah. So with 140 kids. Has there been any other health issues like with the babies, like with the births, with like, like birth defects or autism or anything like that? Uh, of course. You know, I have 140 kids, you know, uh, one in 22 males are going to be autistic. That's just the general, uh, you know, statistic. So the math never lies. I'm pretty sure that, you know, if I have 60 boys, that there's going to be, you know, three autistic boys there uh, somewhere on the spectrum. Obviously, if I see anything concerning where something comes out of the norm where I have more than uh, what would typically be appropriate, that'd be something that I could be alerted to and then maybe make adjustments or retire. So, uh, you know, I had a child born last month and the child was tongue-tied, you know, and uh, I never heard of that before, but I looked it up and it was like 11% of the children are born tongue-tied. So that's something I could watch out for, but... Uh, what is uh, that exactly? That's a medical yeah, condition? Yeah, it's something that's easily fixable. You just uh, clip the tongue, but apparently 11% of people are born tongue-tied it's something where like the tongue is stuck to the bottom palate i'm not quite sure oh. but, but it's easily right? well, that's good yeah they they snip it and uh, sometimes it corrects itself or something along those lines so um she was she reached out to a lot of the other moms say hey did any of the other uh, moms are any of you tongue-tied so the, the it's something that they were able to do and a lot of them support each other sometimes there might be a baby shower, and then other moms will uh, throw the baby shower for the new expecting mom. So that happens sometimes. And um, I, I don't know who's going to be attending this gender reveal, but uh, it's in Connecticut. I might have some other Connecticut moms uh, joining. Okay. So, yeah, you're a busy, man. So, like, with the when you do the meetup, you've done a couple of these the old-fashioned way, but usually it's a soft, it's this cup or something that you hand off to them. And you've done it in, yeah. like, Target bathrooms and things like that? It's a menstrual cup, so it's something that women use for their period. So they okay. would put this cup in when they're on their period to uh, prevent the blood from leaking out. But of course, you could also put the sperm there and then insert it, and then the cup will actually be holding the sperm close to the cervix, so it would have less to swim. And then maybe even if they weren't lying down, the sperm wouldn't fall out, because a lot of times what we're doing is just on the go and they're not lying down in bed afterwards. Uh, so it's just an easy, simple way. It probably works just the same as had, had I done it the old-fashioned way. I don't think it's any kind of you know, giving you any kind of extra benefit, but it's just not necessary that we sleep with each other. And of course, you know, maybe when I started, it was possible for me to conceive the children the old-fashioned way just because I wasn't helping, you know, five women in a month. 
But if I'm helping five women in a month, there's really no way I can protect these other women if I'm having unprotected sex uh, with them. So uh, it just makes it a, a little easier where I could just put it on a cup. I'm not putting myself at risk. And then I know that, uh, you know, each of these women are, are not going to, you know, contract any kind of STD uh, because that would be the last thing I want. That would be a lot of difficult phone calls, God forbid, if I had an STD and then I would have to contact, you know, 30 uh, partners. Even if I get tested once a month, that just really wouldn't even work because I, I, I could sometimes make uh, 15 donations in a month. Uh, of course, uh, it, it varies. Sometimes you have two, three people ovulating the same day and then sometimes a week goes by and nobody asks me for a donation. Of course, uh, today someone tested positive in Vegas, but um, because it was Father's Day and I have this event on uh, Sunday. I don't know. I just felt like I, I I bailed on her. She she understood. I think it was uh, I have someone ovulating in Atlanta this weekend. So I, I thought maybe I'd go there. <laughs> uh, but uh, most of the time, most of my kids are just in the New York area. Uh, I have around 50 kids in New York. Okay. So let's talk about the moms. So some of them, you said, obviously, are lesbian couples, um, some single moms. Is there any heterosexual couples where the father can't? shooting blanks or whatever you call it yep sure sometimes it's not as common but uh, there is i have a a woman pregnant in florida now with, and that's a heterosexual couple um of course i already have a heterosexual couple in florida uh, as well and then in a couple of other states um and of course it, it varies sometimes it, more than likely they they don't really want me to play a role as much um and then sometimes it's a heterosexual couple yeah, I have one in, in Queens. Um, you know, I was going to go visit when the baby was born. And she was like, no, my husband's here. I was like, husband? <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> in fact, uh, what was interesting is uh, this baby's less than a year old. He's nine months. And uh, she tried with me and her husband on the same day. And then she wasn't sure who the father was. So I just had her do like a ancestry kind of thing where she did my heritage. She paid the $50 just to see who the father was because uh, she wasn't really sure when the baby was born, who the child looks like. So that's what we ended up doing. I, I think the husband didn't really want any children. He was a little older, um, uh, but it turns out that was the father. Okay. Interesting. And so you don't do any um, background checks on these women. Um, the fertility clinics don't either, though. They, But but you will help anybody. Um, they'll help anybody who can pay. You'll help anybody for free. That's kind of the difference there, right? Essentially. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, uh, we're more or less asking similar questions, uh, except for the fact that, you know, you know, I would ask maybe their age, because if they're in their 40s, I'm going to still help them. But maybe I would suggest using a clinic. And sometimes uh, if we can't use a clinic in the United States, I can advise them on how to get uh, health coverage, where it would give them insurance so that we could use a clinic in the U.S. Otherwise, I would suggest clinics abroad that we could be able to go uh, to help them conceive. A lot of times uh, I was in Canada this week uh, helping a woman conceive, and then I'll be going to Mexico probably next month to help a woman conceive. So sometimes it's Eastern Europe. Or I've been to a lot of countries. The vast majority of the time, it's not to help women from Eastern Europe. It's to help women who are um, maybe from the U.S. or from Germany, where the laws are more restrictive or the costs are more prohibitive. So we would just go to a cheaper clinic where the laws are more lax. Yeah, because some of the women that you've donated to were not in a good place mentally or financially. I know there was you talked about one woman who was schizoaffective, but there was a lot of people that stepped in to help take care of that baby. Do you think it would help to have a vetting process? Like, I know you want to help these women, not to say no, but to say, hey, let's wait until you know you have a good job till you're financially stable, and then I will help you. Like, or do you think it's just it's you can't police? That's something you can't police. Well, you know, I met this woman who was schizoaffective and honestly, you know, you wouldn't know, you know, because if she's not having an episode, there's really no way to know. She was very lovely. You know, I guess if I really wanted to be invasive, I could have given her a blood test and say, hey, listen, I want to give you a blood test. Make sure you're not on any psychotic meds. And uh, the truth is, had I done that, which is quite extreme nothing would have shown up because she wasn't on meds. That was part of the problem that she wasn't taking her psychotic meds. So that's why when the baby was born, uh, the baby ended up, uh, you know, she ended up having an episode because she was off the meds. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think uh, the, the 
Child Protective Services was going to put the kid in foster care. And uh, they called me and they said, if you don't pick up the baby today, the child's going in foster care. And I just asked some other moms uh, that I have children with, is anyone able to help out? And immediately, dozens and dozens of them said, whatever you need, you know, we'll take care of the baby. Because, you know, first of all, a lot of these moms are single moms. Yeah. Not single moms. I meant they only have only uh, one child, so they have only children. So they love the fact that their child might be able to get to play with their sibling. Uh, a lot of, a lot of them wanted another child, but then because of maybe their health or their age, they weren't able to have another child. So for them, it was a big blessing to be able to uh, raise another child. In the end, I chose a family that was just uh, living locally, who was fostering other children, and they were already part of the system, and they're doing a great job. In fact, it was over a year ago. Because this was February in 2022, and the, the child's still with this uh, family. And, of course, he's not growing up with strangers. He's growing up with his brother. And as he's being raised uh, by a, a lovely family and uh, really thriving, of course, we're hoping and praying that the mother will regain custody. Uh, it's a slow process. So they did a supervised visits. Now it's unsupervised visits. But uh, at least during the process, the child's uh, thriving and not with strangers, but with family. Yeah, it is interesting though, because there really there's no law for that. Even if it's a uh, people just doing the old fashioned way and having babies, like there's no law that says you have to be ready to have a child. Like you could just have a child. It, it's interesting just because yeah. I was I was a school counselor for 17 years, so I saw a lot of that working with kids. And what I like that is that you know in your situation, these kids can still call you. Like you said, they know who you are. You'd be surprised how many kids I talk to that were some of the neatest kids I've ever met in my life. And they had no idea who their father was. It was heartbreaking. So it is. And they struggle with identity issues. You know, a lot of the moms that reached out to me, they were so close with their dad. So for them to have a child that's never going to know who their father is, was just too traumatic for them. And they said, I don't want my child to experience that. And then the reverse was true too. I had a lot of moms that reached out to me that had no idea who their father was. And they were suffering with identity issues till this day, just looking at strangers or dreaming about who their father may or may not be looking at random people in the street saying, is that my dad? And trying to track down their father and uh, for them to put their kid through the same thing. So it was working both ways. Kid, moms that were close to their dad and moms that never knew their dad all just wanted to make sure that their kid doesn't suffer from that same predicament and knows who their father is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you've talked about this before too, but the, the so the child support thing, because I know I'm sure a lot of people wondering about that. Um, that's something where typically when you have an agreement with this person that they're not going to come after you for child support, but there's no contract that you can sign. So you're, it's kind of like a on, on your word kind of thing. And most of them have not come after you, but there have been a handful. And now at this point, uh, because what is the, how's it work? Something about like after the fifth person, like each person, subsequent person that chases after you is going to get less money. So at this point, it wouldn't even really make sense for someone to do that. Right. Well, I, I'd like to think that uh, they're just honest and uh, have good character, and that's the reason they don't do it. But it's true. Yeah. They wouldn't get as much as the first. But uh, each state has different laws. New York's a minimum pay state, so they would always collect something, you know, and even $50 a week might be a, a real struggle for me, but uh, everybody could use $50 a week. So uh, th there's still a minimum amount that I would pay, even though maybe my income might be below the poverty line. But yeah, it's remarkable. The fact that over 130 uh, moms did not file for child support, and that they really were just so few that they ended up going back on their word. Um, my, I'm trying to think, I think it's really, it's a, it's, the youngest is maybe eight years old. Uh, so that means in the past eight years, I haven't had any moms. And that was really the vast majority of my children. So hmm. um, I think I only have maybe like another 15 years of child support <laughs> before I okay. can actually start saving for retirement. Yeah. I, I think one of the other interviews you did, the guy, I think he was a lawyer or something. He said, these moms can sue you for civil negligence. Have you, are, is that something you're worried about or concerned about at all? That doesn't even make any sense. Civil negligence. I can't even no, imagine. That's what he said. They, yeah. I'm not yeah, a lawyer. I think they could, they could sue for uh, child support. That's about all they could sue for. Um, I've never heard of another parent suing the other parent for civil negligence. Uh, you know, the opposite is true as well. I really could file for custody of my children. Uh, you know, that's the agreement. Uh, the agreement is obviously this is the most precious thing in their life, and I'm not going to file for custody. I let the parents make 100% of the decisions. But they're all amazing moms and I love their children dearly. So I'm very blessed in that regard. But I certainly disagree with lots of the decisions. You know, there's all sorts of different parenting styles. You know, I have a lot of moms that are homeschooling. And, you know, I 
it just makes no sense to me because you know I'm, they're sending me the homework for the kid you know so i could do the kid's homework because the kid doesn't know how to do the homework you know so i'm like maybe and they don't know how to do the homework <laughs> i'm like maybe you shouldn't be homeschooling uh so you know of course also the social reasons the, the million and one reasons i'm a big proponent of homeschooling i just think it should be done after they get home from school you know then go homeschool them <laughs> you know you don't have to have them homeschool the whole day you could just have them go to school till two o'clock and then you homeschool them from two to seven before they go to bed uh, i got a lot of moms that are anti-vaxxers and uh you know i, I obviously i'm not an anti-vaxxer i'm, <laughs> I'm pro-vaccine a lot of them are out of the school they can't enter the school system because the moms are anti-vaxxers so yeah that's problematic you know this um uh, they're anti-everything, you know, uh, anti-speech therapy. Oh, no, Einstein didn't talk till he's four. I don't want to get my kid any kind of speech therapy, you know, but all sorts of just wacky things, you know. Uh, but, the, of course, uh, most of them I couldn't, uh, are, are nothing but amazing uh, mothers. And I think uh, in the end, whether the kid gets the vaccine and doesn't get the vaccine, I'm sure they'll do fine, you know. I, I think as long as they have a lot of love in their life, that's really all they need. So, you, I mean, you're, you're kind of like annoyed, but you're not really super, that frustrated because that's kind of like the deal you made, right? Is that you're not really going to get a, have a say. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not only that, I won't even uh, mention it to them. I'll tell you, but I'm not going okay. to, I'm not <laughs> armchair quarterbacking their parenting style or their parenting decisions. Uh, that's the arrangement we made. And uh, I'm going to stick by that arrangement. Um, if they ask for my advice, you know, I'll certainly share it. You know, I had, I had parents that, that, you know, was struggling a little bit financially, and then they're, they're sending their kids to like a Catholic school, and I'm like, you know, you could just send the kid to public school. <laughs> the, the, the education will be free. You know, if you're really struggling, maybe that might be the I don't know, but uh, but generally, uh, it's really a hands off approach. Uh, they mm -hmm. make 100 percent of the decisions. They get to name the child, even if I disagree with the name. <laughs> I, I think that's gets so uh, effective, Mom. I, I, that was probably the first indication that it, I thought she was a little off because she was coming up with all sorts of wacky names and i'm like no <laughs> you can't do that that's unfair and then of course she declined the special k shot and they used to throw mice in and just the vitamins like they she was just anti all modern science you know wow interesting so this is father's day weekend how many cards and phone calls and presents do you get on a father typical father's day um, you know, I'm going to try and do, you know, the, the truth is, I don't know. I don't, I still don't even know if I'm going to be out of town because I told you I had this, uh, couple in Atlanta that was asking me to come out this weekend, but uh, I really, it's going to be hard to get away. I'm probably going to bail on them so I could be local. Um, I'm going to probably do a dinner. That's usually what I'll do with a whole bunch of, uh, my kids, whoever can make it to New York, uh, you know, and celebrate, but it'll be a lot of phone calls and video chats and messages. It's a fun day for me. Okay. Yeah. Cause you talk about, you know, how you're bringing joy to these people, you're helping them out, but I just, I'm worried about you. Like, I mean, you seem very happy, but does this doing this, it makes you happy? You know, I think, uh, you know, my four brothers and two sisters and their very traditional families are also very, very happy. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of these women choose me because I'm very tall. I'm six feet two, or they choose me because I have blue eyes and they want their children to have uh, blue eyes. Sometimes they choose me because I'm Jewish. You know, I don't really care if my kids are Jewish or not. Obviously, I, they're all different faiths. Sometimes they choose me because I'm good at math, you know, and they're like, oh, I want my child to be good at math. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that's hereditary. Uh, the one attribute that I would like my children to have, and I don't really care if they're Jewish or they're good at math or they're tall or if they have blue eyes, but uh, I'm happy. And I think that's a lot of it might be hereditary. And I'm hoping that they at least inherit that gene because that's really all I wish for my children is uh, that they should be happy. So would I have been happy in a traditional family? Sure. Does this bring me a lot of happiness? Of course. But I think happiness probably has less to do with your predicament and more to do with your outlook. What makes you feel like it's your job to help these women? I mean, obviously these women need help. I mean, if you're a lesbian couple, you need somebody to do this, but why, why do you feel a duty to do this? Cause it's often to the detriment of yourself in terms of your time and your finances. I mean, a lot of your time and, and money has, is wrapped up in this, right? I mean, doesn't that hurt you a little bit? Um, it's funny. You talk about time and finances. You find me a parent that isn't uh, struggling with time and finances. That's true <laughs> of every parent. 
and uh, I'll have a, a busy, busy week. It's true. Uh, but it's like all joyous occasions, you know? I went to an award ceremony yesterday. I went to a graduation today, and my daughter got more awards. And, like, it's just, like, just really a lot of fun. So, no, I don't look at it as a chore. And I don't think any parent really is looking at parenting as a chore. It's their greatest joy. So, no, I certainly enjoy it. I think in many ways, uh, if you take one single mom, you know, raising one child is probably doing more work than I'm doing for all my 140 because they, they can, you know, if I want to go to Atlanta tomorrow, I just go and hop on a plane and I'll fly to Atlanta. I almost was going to head to Vegas tomorrow to help this woman. I don't need to call anybody to get coverage for babysitting or anything. I really can just pick up and go. And none of the other mothers that are raising any of my 140 children can do that. They all have responsibilities and they don't have a five-minute break unless they find coverage for those five minutes. So I'm a little uncomfortable with people saying of the sacrifices that I'm making. If anything, it's really these wonderful moms, the sacrifices that they make are really the reason I'm able to do this 140 times. Yeah. But like, do you have any like time to yourself or do you have like time with the guys where you do like a guy's trip to Vegas or stuff like that? Or is that just not interest you? Um, of course, like, um, I would have, I would have partied like a rock star in Vegas because, you know, this woman that was ovulating only needed me for five minutes, you know, the rest of the time I would have been just enjoying life. Of course, I have a couple that's pregnant in Vegas. So obviously I would have gotten together uh, with them, you know, maybe hit a buffet, <laughs> you know, but the rest of the time I would have been enjoying life. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of traveling. Uh, I was in Canada. I was in Florida this week, uh, but uh, uh, like. I travel quite a lot, almost every weekend sometimes. Uh, so that could be a little draining, but it's also joyful. Uh, There's a lot of fun there. You know, I was traveling when I was in my 20s too. You know, I was 17. I got into a motorcycle accident. I was traveling to 40 countries. I'd land in a country and then I would have to navigate and figure out, well, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to eat tomorrow? And uh, now when I land in a, a country or a city or a state, uh, I get picked up in the airport, usually by the mom. You know, and then they take me to their home, you know, and then they say, hey, let's go to my favorite restaurant. You know, it's like it's a whole new way to travel. <laughs> um, my parents are in Florida and I, I, they're ready to relocate to New York because they're really just snowbirds. But they stayed a little longer and uh, I was going to help them drive their car down from Florida to New York. And, you know, uh, I don't need them to join because my dad's 80. My mom's 75. I'm like, you fly. I'll take the car. I'll road trip. And uh, for me, uh, I won't need a hotel because uh, I'm going to drive from Florida. And then I have kids in Georgia and I have kids in South Carolina and then North Carolina and then Virginia and then uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and then the Pennsylvania, you name it, the whole state, all up and along the East Coast. I have kids in every single one of those states. I don't need a hotel uh, wherever I'm going. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's a blessing too. Yeah, because and a lot of these uh, women will pay for you, the airfare and stuff, for you to come visit or to, to do the exchange or those things, right? Or sometimes? Mm. Is, is, sorry? Sometimes the women will pay for you to travel to like to do the uh, exchange or things like oh, that. Oh, that's uh, that's true. Uh, yep. Uh, yes, uh, that is true. The, the woman from Canada reimbursed me for my IVF there. Uh, of course, I went to Canada right at the height of their <laughs> uh, smoke. <laughs> it was funny because oh, I was going yeah, to that Canada right in the eye. That was a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, they do uh, reimburse me more often than not uh, for my uh, travels uh, if I'm going. Of course, uh, usually I'm going to help a woman conceive, but then I'll also go and try and visit uh, some children there as well. I just got my daughter in Mexico a U.S. passport this week, so uh, I want to try and visit her before she starts traveling. Hmm. Do you, Do you think that this is kind of a weird question, but do you think that this there's like an addiction piece to this? Like, are you kind of addicted to the feeling of of the joy of having a baby born or the excitement of seeing the woman's fate or whatever it is, the piece of this, is there some sort of like thing that you really like that feeling and you want to keep doing that? Or is this a, a point where you're going to retire from this? I mean, I'm 47. So I think uh, retirement is in the cards. Uh, obviously uh, my age uh, might uh, have some increased health risks. Uh, I don't really feel comfortable, you know, helping women grow their families when I'm in my fifties. So I think, you know, it is going to end uh, as far as an addiction. I'm not really an addictive. I don't know if that's such a thing. An addictive, addicted to having kids. <laughs> not that Vietnam syndrome that I invented. No, I don't have an addicting personality. I'm not addicted to smoking or drinking or anything else. So no, I don't think so. You know, someone's asking for my help so I can say, listen, 
I can't help you because someone might think I'm addicted, you know? And they'd be like, well, I don't really care what they think. <laughs> you know, it's not about me having my 141st child. This is about helping this woman in Vegas who doesn't have any children, okay? And she's 41 years old and she's not legal here, so she can't travel to another country to get the fertility treatment and she can't afford fertility treatment here or get a job that would help give her her health insurance. So it's like the only way is really just me flying out there and trying with her each month. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I got you get invested in their journey, certainly. You know, um, I had an IVF yesterday and uh, I missed it because I had this award ceremony, so I went earlier and I froze it. And this woman owns a, a daycare in her house and she just doesn't take uh, any kids, she takes the troubled kids, the kids that no other daycare accepts. Okay, and then she also has a dog that she adopted from the from the pound, and this dog is crippled, you know, and like this woman is like a special soul, you know, and I'm going to tell her, no, nah, I don't want to help you because, you know, people are going to think that, uh, you know, I have too many kids. And it's like, no, but this is not about me and, and my journey of, you know, populating the earth. This is a very, very, very special woman who's just an amazing person and I think was meant to be a mother. You know, that's what these healthcare workers, um, these um, daycare workers are. You know, if you, if you have a nursery or you're working in a daycare, you're not doing it for the money. You know, you just love children and you're meant to be a mother. And that's your life's purpose and being able to help play a role in helping these women achieve their greatest life purpose. I mean, I guess that could be addicting, you know, I'm helping people, you know, but uh, I don't need any more children. Yeah. Do any of the kids or the moms, are they angry with you now, resent you or, or mad at you at all? Or I mean, like maybe temporarily, but any are like, are fully like just they're, they're, they're really mad at you right now. Like they're, I mean, maybe these child support moms are, are the other ones. I mean, there's 140 moms. <laughs> Some of them. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I like, um, of course. Yeah. And I am sure it, with 140 children, some of the kids are going to be upset at me too. You know, how many are teenagers? How, how, come, how come you weren't there for me? You know, like, how come you didn't come to my graduation? How come you didn't, you know, of course, there's a lot, you know, some of these, some of these moms moved, you know, to the middle of nowhere, you know, it's just difficult to visit. I have moms that are mad at me. How come you're not coming to visit to my daughter? I'm in, you know, I have a, in, in Louisiana, but it's like not New Orleans. It's like four hours from New Orleans. I'm like, how did I get there? You know, it's like, that's just a, it's just off the beaten path, you know? So, uh, sometimes they get upset, um, you know, but I'm doing my best. Uh, to try and keep them all happy. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of apologies, uh, you know, whether I did something wrong or not. Sometimes an apology goes a long way. You know, sometimes I'll have ChatGPT write them that, uh, you know, they're all sincere because I really do care about uh, my children and my children's moms. So, uh, but yeah, of course, not all of them are going to be um, happy. Uh, I think some of them are disappointed, uh, but the vast majority of them uh, think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then you have, you know, some that just think I'm the devil. And I think that's just the nature of it. And it, once again, I don't think it has anything to do. Some of them are going to say, well, you're the best dad on planet Earth. You know, and I already know that's a lie. But then others are going to call me the devil. And I know that's not true either. Yeah. What do you think makes a good father? Like, How would you no, define I, that? Yeah, I, I don't really need uh, to go any further than my father. My father was an amazing father, you know, because he tucked me into bed at night and told me bedtime stories, you know, which I'm not always able to do with my children. You know, uh, he's. He, provided for me financially. I'm not in a position to do that. I had a mom today ask me, can, can you help out with diapers? You know, our daughter's one. It's the first time she asked me for anything and I'm pretty tapped, you know, but I, I can't say no. <laughs> like I, I, I cash that $20. Yeah. You know? I don't know how, how many, how many, but that was the first package of diapers I bought this, you know, uh, I'm not providing for my kids financially. You know, it's almost token amounts just to let them know that, you know, I care. Um, so, uh, you know, I know what a good father is because I had a great father, you know, uh, but uh, I'll do my best. And I think, like you say, any role I play is probably be better than whatever this frozen anonymous sperm donor would have played. And I think perhaps what they're losing, maybe in having a full-time father, they'll gain from having so many brothers and sisters that they'd be able to bond with. Uh, I think the greatest gift my parents gave me, uh, was not the space shuttle I got when I was eight years old, you know, <laughs> that they mailed away a whole bunch of UPC codes from the cereal boxes to get or whatever, whatever gift they bought me uh the greatest gift they gave me were my brothers and sisters you know who you know you only have your parents uh, thank god i'm 
47 years old and my parents are still alive. Uh, but, uh, you know, I won't have them for the rest of my life. But my brothers and sisters, you know, it's safe to say that I'll have them for the rest of my life. So I think that's maybe the greatest gift I gave my children too, or their brothers and sisters. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I just got, uh, I don't have any kids, but I have, uh, I have two cats. I just got a kitten. And uh, I mean, I just got this kitten. He's so adorable. And I just can't imagine, like, if I, just after a couple of days, I'm like, I'm in love with this kitten. I got to be around him all the time. Do you ever feel that way with your kid? Like, oh my God, I'm in love with this kid. But now you, you know, you're, they're all over the place. They're in different states, different uh, countries. I mean, do you miss these kids? Like, do you get attached to them and then you have to leave? And because that would make me really sad, I would think. Yeah, it does make me sad. I'm not sad for me because I'm going to just go on to other kids, you know? But I was in Asia visiting my, uh, I have two kids in this Southeast Asia and I was visiting them and, you know, I went for like two days, you know, it's so inadequate, you know, and the, the kid's three years old and they cry when you leave, you know, and you're like, wow, they really deserve, you know, more time, you know, they really, really do, you know, but of course I got a life here, I get relocate, uh, I got a job here, you know. Um, none of this is paying the bills, so I still got to keep my, uh, my day job. Uh, so yeah, it makes me sad because I know that they really deserve more and I'm not able to provide for it, you know? So would you eventually, um, want to meet a nice woman and, and settle down and have a, fa a family the old fashioned way? Would you ever want to do that? Uh, that sounds nice. Uh, you know, first of all, certainly not while I'm helping other women grow their families. I just don't see that as an option. Uh, I, even women say they'll accept it. it. I don't have the time and I don't have the money that a relationship would require. And ultimately, the woman would just be making too much sacrifice that would really would be just be unfair. Um, you know, yeah, well, wouldn't that be nice? Have my own full family that I could raise full time. I'm already a bit off more than I can chew. If I start being a full time parent to any one of my children, ultimately, inevitably, that's taking away, I think, uh, just the time that I'd get to spend from the other kids. I think, unfortunately, that's really not on the cards for me. I think I already have uh, uh, my hands full. And I don't think uh, taking on additional responsibility, like being a full-time dad, uh, would be responsible. So you don't feel like you deserve it? Uh, deserve? Uh, you know, I'm not really lacking uh, love uh, in my life, you know? Um, I'm not getting a pet either. <laughs> certainly travel too much for that <laughs> but a lot of my moms are cat ladies you know <laughs> it's, not, it's not a myth you know <laughs> cat ladies a lot of cats it's funny because i had one mom and she had over 20 cats and she she couldn't afford the fertility treatment because all of her money went to her cats and i said you just have to give up the cats and we can go do ivf because she was already in her 40s and i'm all like you, you know but she couldn't do it you know she doesn't have any children now she's just taking care of all these cats you know wow that's interesting too yeah. And it's, 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 it's interesting because she would have just been an amazing mother. She was just such a caring individual. Like we would get together and she would have cats in her trunk with the heaters, you know, because she has to nurse them every three hours. So she can't just leave them at home. She has to nurse them because these are rescues, you know, like she's getting them as infants. Like it was, she was dedicating her whole life, you know, and she wasn't able to have children because of it. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. I think the people that the haters, like, I don't know if they really have gotten to know you and, and listen to it. Cause it seems like, I mean, I don't know what's in your heart, but I, I mean, it seems like from what you're telling me in the interviews I've seen, it seems like you're trying to help people. Am I wrong? Yeah. You know, uh, it's true. In my heart, it feels like I'm doing the right thing. You know, even though, of course, I'm making mistakes, you know, uh, but, but, you know, when I'm meeting the woman and during and after and seeing all these families uh, that I was able to help grow and the children and how happy they are and how well they're doing, you know, certainly in my heart of hearts, it feels like I'm doing the right thing. But of course, you know, uh, time will tell, but, um, uh, you know, what would have been about, uh, obviously maybe limiting it to 10 or 20 families, you know, but then I'd look at all these other families that I was able to help and, you know, how wonderful the kids are doing and, and they're not really lacking anything. Uh, you know, a lot of these kids are growing up in a two-parent household, you know, which sometimes people have issues with of like, why are you helping these single moms, you know? Uh, but, you know, a lot of them, around half the families are lesbian families, you know? you Of course, you have these heterosexual moms. So even the ones that are against the single moms, you know, it would be a little difficult for them to really come out against the heterosexual uh, couples, you know, or, or even lesbian moms. And then, you know, 
listen, my, my parents uh, raised seven kids. You know, they did a great job. Uh, these single moms have one or two children. The ratio is actually better. These kids are getting uh, as much or more attention, you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's I'm an interesting, Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Like I said, I was a school counselor, so I worked with fam- I've worked with every kinds of family, and it's just interesting to see. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that I'm the one to judge. I don't know, but I mean, I do say, like I said, like at least these kids can they can call you. They can maybe that you're not around all the time for every event or whatever, but at least they know who you are. They can call you and talk to you. I mean, if the mom so allows yeah. it. So yeah, they don't have to feel Something. different. You know, uh, if there's a Father's Day event at school and I'm able to come, you know, and they don't have to feel left out. Uh, I, I, I was in Israel uh, this month helping a woman. Plus, I have five kids there, so I was visiting them, and I missed the watermelon contest in, in Jersey. And uh, I already know I would have won it, you know. And my daughter cried because I, I didn't show. It was like a father watermelon eating contest, you know. <laughs> Maybe she knew I would have won, so she was crying like, oh. Uh, so that was sad, but then, you know, you, you sometimes you miss out, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm very close with a lot of my children. And like you say, sometimes we could just video chat that some of them I'm sure will be upset and wonder how come I wasn't uh, more active, you know, like I have a kid in Virginia, but like come to my house and play, you know, and I'm like not realizing that it's like a five hour journey and five hours back, you know, like it's just not feasible, uh, you know, but uh, sometimes kids don't understand, but, um, I, have, I don't know. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Well, yeah, um, the, the statistics, the math doesn't lie. And the statistics on single parent households are, are never very good. Kids with the father not present in the child's life is not really a great statistic. I mean, more likely for depression, more likely for, you know, criminal records, like all of that, you know. But I, I think that's really looking for at situations that maybe it doesn't, I'm hoping and praying that maybe that's not applicable to this situation where there is a dad involved. They do know who the father was or these were single mothers by choice or maybe there's two mothers in the picture. Like there's all sorts of different scenarios. And I like to think that maybe that's uh, not going to be the case, uh, even though I, I, I'm a mathematician, you know, I, the math doesn't lie, but uh, I think in this scenario, it's, it's the, the the statistics on single parent households are in different situations. They were struggling financially, or they had other issues that that maybe, um, you know. And it was wasn't a dad that was uh, MIA. Here's a dad that you know that they that they at least they know they're very much loved and cared about, uh, even if I can't be there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've done a lot of these uh, big talk shows, like you did Drew Barrymore. And Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz said, did he say he was going to have you on a third time? But this show's off the air. So, yeah, he did. <laughs> but, oh, oh, it's off the air. Okay. Well, I think he went okay. into politics. Uh, maybe he'll restart his show again. But uh, he gave up his show to run for uh, Senate. Yeah, well, I knew he. Okay, I knew he. I didn't know that his show. Qu- I thought he was maybe just on hiatus. Okay, that makes oh. sense. Yeah, because he. it was interesting. On the, on the last one, he said, I want to have oh. you back and I want to discuss this like i want to get to the root of this or whatever and i was just like i was curious what he was going to ask you or what he was what he was going to talk to you about to get to the root yeah well i went i went on his show twice um you know know, people say well he he wasn't so nice to you but i was like no that's what he's supposed to do if i can't answer his tough questions and i really should be doing what i'm doing if i can't answer questions about it and it helps me think more about it whether i'm doing the right thing so uh you know I, i i thought he was wonderful you know, I think it's good yeah. to, but nobody wants to hear an interview where they're not, you know, going to ask you, but put, you know, I don't want to see Trump on Sean Hannity. You know, I want to see him go to <laughs> CNN and MSNBC, you know, let him, let him go to those interviews, you know? No, that's true. That's good. Yeah. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Maury or uh, Oz and they had some of the moms that you've, that you've uh, worked with and, uh, and they all loved you. They all praised you. I don't know if they picked those ones or that's just the majority of the ones that, you've dealt with it's the vast majority yeah and uh i'm lucky in the way that the ones that hate me uh you know like these handful that sued me for child support like those four moms uh they're embarrassed to go on tv so they're not going on because they they can say whatever they want you know it's really you know you know i i forgave them because whatever you know the money's going to my kids it's not going to pay a parking ticket but but the people that can't forgive them are these other moms who i helped you know because they see me struggle financially you know it makes them upset you know and in the end these moms didn't take money away from me because 
my money would have went to my kids anyway. I just would have distributed it more equitably. I would have given it to, you know, and when she asked for uh, some diapers, I would have given her $20, which maybe would last, you know, <laughs> two weeks. I could have given $40, give her the case, you know, to give her the diapers for the month, you know, I mean, that's really where the money would have went. Yeah. I mean, I worry about, I worry about you. I worry about the moms and I worry about these kids, but you seem to have a good outlook on it all. <laughs> you think everything's going to be fine. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, of course, I'm a positive person, you know, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, so far, so good. <laughs> so that's promising. Uh, you know, kids are happy, healthy, you know, moms are happy, you know. And you're They're a happy. great mom. Oh, I'm always happy. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, I always end every episode promoting a charity. Is there a charity that you that you work with that um, people could donate to or? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it should be like a charity for kids would be really what I should be promoting. But, uh, you know, maybe I would say just charity begins at home, you know, give it give it to your, uh, you know, a family member <laughs> who needs it. You know, you got a brother who lost a job or, you know, that's that's really the best charity. Then, you know, it's going to the right spot and you could give it just like as a big birthday present or something you just add a little bit to their birthday present i think that's the charity where they don't even know they're getting charity they think they're just getting a you know a graduation gift or a birthday present you know no <laughs> all right sounds good well thanks so much for doing this i'll get this episode up soon and uh happy yeah, father's I'm, day in advance i'm sure it'll be thank busy you, you. <laughs> my, my six-year-old daughter has some kind of father daughter karate event that i'm uh, about to hit to. so i gotta okay. practice my karate chop <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with that. Thanks so much again. Uh, so nice chatting. You bet. Well, there you have it. Ari Nagel. Fascinating story. What do you think? Uh, is he a hero for helping couples and single moms have a baby who couldn't otherwise conceive? Or is this reckless behavior of an egomaniac? Let me know in the comments. Curious what your thoughts are. I just ask that you be respectful. I appreciate all your support for the show and our guests. And I want to thank Ari again for taking the time to do my podcast. He's obviously a very busy man. Uh, thank you all for listening or watching this. Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.